Hey there, everybody. This is What A Week for the Vanguard Podcast Network. I'm Nick Gatlin, your host. Here's all the news you need to know this week. Multnomah County DA Mike Schmidt plans to drop a significant number of protester charges. Uh, If he had his way, the roughly 550 pending misdemeanor and felony charges brought against protesters since May 29th would be handled a little differently than a typical prosecution. Quote, I'd be baking in some more restorative justice, Schmidt said, and maybe even more community involvement in the resolution of these cases to kind of honor the fact that they were there protesting and wanting to be heard, and then creating a venue where they could do that as part of some sort of negotiated dismissal. The DA's office doesn't have unlimited resources and can't exactly do what they want, But, since he can't initiate an expansive restorative justice program, Schmidt introduced a new policy on Tuesday that will result in dropping a significant portion of the more than 500 protester cases brought over the course of the demonstrations. Quote, In a democracy where speech is so important, being the system that's being criticized and then using that system to shut down speech, Schmidt said, I think we have to hold ourselves to an even higher level of tolerance for that speech to take place. Barring unusual circumstances, prosecutors under Schmidt's new policy won't press charges for city ordinance violations that do not involve deliberate property damage, theft, or the use of threat or force against another person. That would include charges such as interference with a police officer or disorderly conduct. Quote, the presumption on a lot of these cases that are listed out there is that we won't prosecute, Schmidt said, but if there are egregious circumstances or something about the case that stands out, we can always choose to prosecute. Arrests for resisting arrest or assaulting a public safety officer should consider, quote, the chaos of a protesting environment, especially after tear gas or other less lethal munitions have been deployed against protesters en masse, the policy states. Schmidt said his attorneys will scrutinize every case to determine if the person's intent was to resist arrest or injure a police officer. In cases where the primary harm was financial and not physical, Schmidt is calling for charges to be dropped after victims have been compensated or the arrestee has otherwise made amends to the community. A special session of the Oregon legislature wrapped up on late Monday after a single-day session marked with tension. Lawmakers worked past 11 p.m. on Monday to conclude a special session that grew tense and at times openly hostile in the Senate earlier in the evening. Lawmakers from the House and Senate passed a dozen bills to patch the $1 billion hole in the state budget, tighten restrictions on police and correction officers' use of force, and help out-of-work and underemployed Oregonians. After hours of hearings and repeated delays and evening floor sessions, Senate President Peter Courtney announced around 7 p.m. that the legislature would not finish its work Monday night. He had warned earlier in the evening that lawmakers who'd been waiting all day to vote were getting increasingly grumpy, but the Senate resumed working bills at 8.45 p.m. Monday, raced through the work with little disruption and wrapped up at 10.20 p.m. Quote, I'm glad it's over, Courtney said in a statement, explaining that cutting the state budget is never a desired task. The House took until past 11 p.m. to pass all 11 substantive bills and pass the resolution to adjourn at 11.17 p.m. It was the second special session of the year after lawmakers spent three days at the Capitol in June. Many lawmakers have been itching to fix the budget for months, which they were poised to do before persistent widespread protests against police brutality toward black people prompted leaders to tackle that first. Collectively, the budget bills lawmakers passed Monday will cut $362 million in general fund spending, with most of the reductions to human services programs, according to a legislative analysis. Top budget writers have characterized many of the changes as relatively easy cuts to yet-to-launch programs and unfilled jobs. But as Oregonians testified in recent public hearings, some existing much-needed programs stand to be gutted. 
Lawmakers voted overwhelmingly to pull $400 million from an education reserve fund and raid more than $200 million from accounts created to help pay down the state's $24.5 billion public pension deficit, although a House floor vote on that plan drew an unusual mid-vote pause to let Republican House members talk amongst themselves. An assortment of other budget maneuvers allowed legislators to close the remainder of the budget shortfall, including $56 million in federal coronavirus relief funds to pay for Oregon State Police troopers, according to legislative documents. And in national news, the big news this week, Joe Biden has selected Senator Kamala Harris to be his running mate, elevating a charismatic blue state senator, former prosecutor, and one-time 2020 primary candidate who has built a reputation as an unyielding antagonist of the Trump administration. Harris is the daughter of immigrants from Jamaica and India and was the widely seen frontrunner to the VP slot. She creates a Democratic ticket that in many ways mirrors the one Biden ran on in 2008 with Senator Barack Obama. An older white man and a Washington lifer with deep foreign policy experience is paired with a younger black running mate with immigrant roots who has been in the Senate just four years except this time Biden is at the top of the ticket, not the bottom. And Vice President Joe Biden maintains a 10-point lead over President Trump less than three months from November's election. A poll from Monmouth University showed that he leads the president from 51% to 41% among registered voters nationwide, with Biden ticking down a percentage point and Trump rising two points since late June. And the survey found that 4% of those polled are still undecided, while 2% back Libertarian Joe Jorgensen and 1% back the Green Party's Howie Hawkins. In international news, New Zealand saw four cases of COVID-19 after 102 days of no community spread. Uh, New Zealand has four new cases of COVID-19 from an unknown source. The island nation was widely seen around the world as an example for coronavirus containment. Uh, All four cases are members of the same family who live in South Auckland, the government said on Tuesday. The first case identified in the cluster was a person in their 50s with no overseas travel history. The person has been symptomatic for five days and was confirmed positive on Tuesday. The six members of the person's household were then tested, three tested positive, and three negative. And while all the cases are in one household, more than one workplace was affected. And finally, Lebanon's prime minister resigned days after the Beirut explosion. On Monday, he announced his cabinet's resignation to outrage over the catastrophic explosion in Beirut. He said, quote, Today I announce the resignation of this government in a national TV address, and his speech was published by the national news agency, the state-run media outlet in Lebanon. His resignation came after last Tuesday's deadly warehouse explosion caused by 2750 tons of ammonium nitrate stored at Beirut's port that killed at least 160 people, wounded thousands, and left many homeless, destroying an entire portion of the city. Public anger mounted after the blast, focusing on the carelessness that led to one of the worst explosions in Lebanon's history, the huge trove of dangerous material, which officials say was known for years, had been allowed to languish in the port since 2013. Intense protests erupted, with many calling for top officials to, quote, resign or hang. That's all the news you need to know this week. This is What A Week. Have a great week, everybody.